So tonight we're going to talk to you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Christ has been saving souls since the time of His death. And you know, I put up there saving souls since 33 AD. That's a long, long time ago. But for 2,000 years, we've talked about Jesus. We've talked about His life. We've talked about His death. We've talked about every aspect of Jesus. We continue to do that today and we continue to get excited about it. Why? Because it's the greatest story that's ever been told. Of all the things that have ever happened on planet earth, Jesus Christ coming here is by far the best thing that has ever happened. And so that's what we want to visit with you for a little while tonight about, and that's the gospel of Jesus. In Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16, the Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, this gospel of Jesus is God's power to save. And that's what this verse says. That's what the Apostle says here. It's the power of God unto salvation. It's, it's God's power. It's amazing. And it's wonderful. And so that begs the question, what is it? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, I've heard people talk about the gospel as being different things at different times. And so I want to look at a few of those uh, for just a second. First of all, is the gospel the good news? You know, if you look at the Greek word, uh, it does mean good message. It does mean glad tidings or good tidings. And so is the gospel just good news? Well, let, let's think about that for just a minute. You know, it rains an inch here in the Texas Panhandle. We call our neighbor and we tell them, hey, I got an inch of rain. And they receive that as good news. And it is here where we live. It's always good news when we get rain. When a couple calls and says that they're expecting that they're going to have a child, that's good news. And we joy, rejoice with them and, and are excited about that. It's good news. But is that gospel? That's not gospel. You see, the gospel is a very specific piece of good news. It's very specific in what it means and what it is. And we're going to explore that. What about the first four books of the New Testament? You know, some people say that's the gospel. And certainly in Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, Mark opens the book by saying the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so, in that sense, I suppose it is the gospel. But really, the books themselves are not so much gospel as the words they contain, as the story that they tell. They tell the story of Jesus. And that's why we talk about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John being the gospels, because they tell the story of Jesus Christ. And a very specific part of that story is what the gospel really is. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-4. through 4. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to to the Scriptures. You see, the Gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, I declare this unto you. I want to proclaim it. I'm going to show you exactly what the Gospel is. And I'm glad he did that. 
Because it leaves no room for doubt. We can't question what the gospel is. It's so clear, it's so plain that the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Christ was, was punished with a, with a terrible crucifixion, a terrible death. He was in agony and He was in anguish and His blood spilled out upon the ground and He died hanging on a tree. He was buried in a tomb, in a tomb that didn't even belong to Him. He had to acquire that tomb from a rich man. And that rich man gave that tomb to Him and allowed Him to be buried there in that tomb. But three days later, He came forth from the grave. You see, Jesus is not dead today. Jesus is risen. Jesus overcame death. He has the victory over death in an amazing fashion. He came out of that tomb and He lives and sits on the right hand of God today. That's the Gospel. It's a wonderful message. It's the greatest story that's ever been told. But I guess people wonder, why is the Gospel important today? You know, that was 2,000 years ago. So what? A man came and lived and died. And he died for a cause. A lot of people die for a cause. Many, many people have sacrificed themselves, their life, everything that they have for their friends, for their family, maybe even for people they never met or never knew. How is that any different from what Jesus did? Why is Jesus' death and burial so special? Well, it has to do with that resurrection, doesn't it? And it has to do with the power that those three things together bring to us. They save us. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what saves us. Remember what we read in our opening verse in Romans 1. It is the power of God unto salvation. It's what brings salvation of our souls. When those people ask, men and brethren, what shall we do? They were worried about their souls. They were worried about where their soul was going to spend eternity. And the answer that was given unto them was, was the gospel. And we'll talk about that as we go through this study. It's the power of God unto salvation. In Corinthians, he said, through this gospel, it's what you stand in. It's what you're saved by. He reinforces that over and over. And I want to read one more verse in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10 to emphasize the power of the gospel to save. It says there, but it is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, and hath brought life and immortality to light. Through what? Through the gospel. He brought life and immortality to light. He abolished death. These are the things that He's provided salvation from. Immortality doesn't sound like a bad thing. From the beginning of time, I suppose, and especially as we read in the, in the history books, people have looked for the fountain of youth. They've searched for the fountain of youth and what can keep them young and what can keep them vibrant and what can keep them alive. And if you watch TV long enough today, you're going to see some cream you can put on your face or some pill you can take or some food that you can eat that's going to prolong your life and make you young and feel better. But none of those things provide immortality. Immortality can never come in this life and on this earth. Immortality can only come through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're not talking about immortality as we live on earth. We're talking about the immortality of our soul. To live on in eternity. To be comforted. To be at peace. To have all that we've ever looked for and ever dreamed of because we're in the presence of God through Jesus Christ our Lord and through that gospel. 
It is the power to save. That's why it's important. But you may be sitting at home tonight and you may be saying, well, what do I need saved from? You know, I'm a pretty good person. And I love my family and I love my neighbor. And I don't steal from people and I don't lie to people. And I don't cuss and I don't drink and I don't do this or I don't do that and I'm trying to raise my kids the best I can. And, and God bless you. God bless you for those things. But let me tell you something about <clears throat> this little three-letter word called sin. Sin has touched each and every one of us. No matter how good you may think you are today. You know, as I look back at my life, I'm ashamed at so many things that have happened in my life. So many things that I did foolishly in my youth. So many things that within the last month I've just faltered and failed and not done things like I wished I would have or like God expects me to do. You see, I have sin in my life. And let me just be real honest with you at home tonight. You've got sin in your life too. You've got a sin problem. That's what we need saved from. We need saved from our sins. And only Jesus can do that. He's the only one that can provide that salvation. Adam and Eve began a very slippery slope that has touched every human who has ever lived. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, the Scriptures say, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. In his letter, James tells us that one sin is enough to separate us from God. The death that we're talking about in these Scriptures is a spiritual death. It's a separation from God. And only one sin will do it. And so it doesn't matter how good we think we are. We've all sinned at least one time. And I bet a lot more than that. I know in my case, it's many, many more times than just one. I lost count a long time ago. I need saving. You need saving. We need Jesus. And we need His Gospel. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 emphasizes further, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one of us that are immune to that. Jesus is the only person who's ever lived on this earth without sin. No other person has been able to conquer that. No other person has been able to say, I'm saved by my own goodness, by my own doing. We have all committed sin. And when we commit that sin, we're guilty of all. It doesn't matter if it was a little sin or a big sin. It doesn't matter if it was one or a thousand or a million or two. One sin is enough. We need saved. One sin is worthy of death. Romans 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death. It's that separation from God. That's what the wages of sin is. And so that's left me to wonder, are we just doomed? Is there no hope? Is there no way that we can get out of this because we're sinners? You know, the Apostle Paul, look in one place, wrote, O wretched man that I am. That's how I feel sometimes. That's probably how you feel sometimes. When we look at our life, when we look at our failings, when we look at how miserable we are in comparison to the light of Jesus, I just feel like scum sometimes. But the very next part of that same verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There it is again. Through Jesus through Jesus, we can have life eternal. Through Jesus, we don't have to have that separation from God. We can be restored. We can be at one in unity 
with God again through Jesus. Because of Jesus and His death, His burial and His resurrection. Because of the Gospel. I want to notice a couple things about Jesus and how this all works. Because it's really quite amazing when you think about it. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 it says, But we see Jesus, who was mighty more than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He by the grace of God should taste death for every man. <clears throat> you see, Jesus has tasted death for us. The death, the punishment that was due to me, that was due to you, Jesus tasted that death. Jesus endured that punishment. Jesus in His own body took that on. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, it says, "...who His own self bear our sins in His body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed." Jesus healed us with His stripes. You see, you and I should have hung on a tree. You and I should have been crucified for our sin. You and I should have tasted death because of our sins and our iniquities. But Jesus did that for us. And it's quite amazing that God had a plan in place from the foundation of the world that in due season He would send His Son to this earth and that Jesus would live and that Jesus would die and that in that death He would taste of death for every man that He would take our sins in His body, that He would cure us and heal us from sin through His death and His resurrection and give us hope that eternal life is coming, that our soul will be immortal in heaven. That's amazing. It's wonderful. And I just stand in awe of the plan that God had in place to bring that all about and bring that all to be. So the last question I have for you tonight then is this. What will you do with the gospel. And you say, well, what, what can I do with it? Hasn't it happened? We've been talking about it for 2,000 years. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Hasn't it happened? Well, yes, it has. All those facts came to play 2,000 years ago. Jesus came and He lived perfectly and righteously. He shed His blood on the cross. He was buried in a new tomb and He was resurrected the third day. All that happened. But you know what? We still have to do something with that gospel. The first thing is, is will you hear the gospel? Will you hear it? We've got to sit down and listen to the story of Jesus, the old story, the great story, the best news the world has ever seen, that the world has ever known. We've got to hear that message. We've got to listen to it very closely. In Acts 11 and verse number 14, I want to set the stage for this verse for you. This is a man named Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. And up to that point in the history of the New Testament, Gentiles had not been able to receive the Word of God. They had not been able to have salvation. And so Cornelius has a dream or has a vision to send for Peter. And he does that. He sends for Peter. And at the same time, Peter's having a vision about giving this message to the Gentiles and preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And I want you to notice what Acts 11 and verse 14 says. Cornelius is speaking to Peter. Uh, or Peter actually in this, this account is recounting those instances to someone else, but it's Cornelius' words. And he says of Peter, "...who shall teach thee words whereby thou and thy house shall be saved." You see, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus had already happened. It had happened some time ago by this point. 
But now here's Cornelius who's still got sin. He's sitting in his house with his sin. His sin has not went away. His sin is still prevalent. He doesn't have remission. He doesn't have forgiveness. But the gospel's happened. How is it that Cornelius didn't have forgiveness? He hadn't heard the gospel. He hadn't heard it. And he said to Peter, I've got to hear these words. Just Peter coming to him wasn't enough. It was the message that Peter carried. And what was that message? It was the gospel. It was the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That was the message that Peter shared with Cornelius. He said, you're going to hear these words, or you're going to be told these words. They're going to save you. Tonight, I want you to hear the gospel. I want you to hear it. And Peter summarizes it in three verses better than I ever could. And he uses words better than I could ever imagine or come up with. So I'm just going to read these words to you from Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. It says, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by Him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that He should be holden of it. For everyone listening tonight, that's the Gospel. It's the Gospel. And it wasn't just those Jews that Peter talked to there on the day of Pentecost that hung Jesus on the cross. He said to them, you've taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Let me tell you something tonight. Your sins put Him there. And my sins put him there. All the stuff I look back in my past and am ashamed of hung Jesus on the cross. And all the sins and the iniquities that you've committed throughout your lifetime, they put him there. That's why he had to die. Only because of our sin. If we had not sinned, Jesus would not have had to die. But he had to go and taste of death for us. And he had to be buried. But let me tell you something. On the third day, they came to the tomb and they just came to search Him out. And they came to see if He was there. And the angel of God said, He's not here. Why seek ye the living with the dead? Jesus overcame death. He's sitting on the right hand of God today. That's the Gospel. And I'm glad that you've been able to tune in and to hear it tonight. Not because I've spoken it, but because it's a great story. It's the wonderful story of Jesus the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But it wasn't enough just to, to hear the message either. Cornelius heard those words. Cornelius heard the words of Peter. He heard the Gospel preached. Paul, on his way to Damascus, said and he heard the words. And he believed in the Lord. And he heard the Lord speak. But there was more to it than that. You see, he had to believe the Gospel. Do you believe the Gospel today? And not just that it happened. That it is the power to save. You see, it's not just enough to believe Jesus existed, that He walked on the earth. That's not what saves us. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. It's the power of God and the salvation. It's the power of God to save. In Acts 16 and 31, we have another account. Here, Paul and Silas had been in prison and they had been put up in that prison and they sang praises unto God and a great earthquake occurred and it loosed their chains and it opened the door of the prison. They could have escaped. 
The jailer came in and he would have killed himself because he thought all the prisoners had escaped and they said, we're still here. Don't harm yourself. We're still here. And he asked that question that Zane posed to you. What must we do to be saved? He wanted to know. What do I need to do, sirs? What do I need to do to be saved? And in Acts 16 and 31, they said unto him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. You've got to believe it. And they went on to preach to him the gospel. It says they preached to him Jesus. What did they preach to him when they preached to him Jesus? They preached the gospel. They preached the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Remember in the verse, first verse that we read in Romans 1 and 16, it says it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. We've got to believe this gospel. We've got to believe it happened. And we've got to believe in its power to save. We've got to trust in God. That when He says this is what saves us, it is indeed what saves us. We've got to have faith in that blood and its cleansing power. In Romans verse, chapter 3 and verse 25, the Bible says, Whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Faith in His blood. We've got to believe in His blood and His cleansing power. That when the soldier came up and pierced his side and outpoured blood and water, that it was cleansing blood that it has the power to save, that it saves us even 2,000 years later when we hear it, when we believe it, and when we obey it. The Gospel is to be obeyed, you see. It's not something just to be heard and put on the shelf. It's not some story just to tell and recount. It's something to be believed and it's something to be obeyed. And you may wonder, how can we obey it? Well, let's examine that for just a minute. The Bible in three different Scriptures talks about or uses the phrase obey or obeyed the Gospel. And in each of those three instances, it really talks about the negative aspect of that in, in the sense that it talks about not obeying the Gospel. Making the decision to not obey the Gospel and that being a bad decision. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 16 it's just stated like this, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah has said, or Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Not everybody believes the gospel. And as a result of not believing, they don't obey. And this is just a statement, a statement of fact. Not everyone has obeyed the gospel. Now Peter poses a question in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17. A very interesting and a very sobering question he asks. He says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? He said, what's going to happen to those that don't obey the gospel? What's going to happen? Paul answers the question. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, he says unto you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's very sobering. You see, if we don't obey the gospel... When Jesus returns, it's not going to be pleasant. It's going to be a situation of vengeance. He's going to take vengeance on them that know not God. Why? 
Why is He going to take vengeance on them that don't obey the Gospel? Because the Gospel is the power to save. It's what takes away our sins. And when we don't obey the Gospel, we are yet with our sins. We still have our sins. They're still in us. We've got to obey the Gospel. We've got to hear it, believe it, and obey it in order for those sins to disappear. In order for the cleansing blood of Jesus to take effect and to wash our sins away. That's what we want, isn't it? That's what we want. But how do we obey it? It's fact. It's history. How do we obey the Gospel? You know, if we were left to our own devices to figure that out, I don't know that we could. I don't know that I could figure it out. I don't know that I could put the pieces together. But luckily, in the Scriptures, we have the answer, the solution. Paul spells it out for us. Exactly how we obey the Gospel. He says in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 16, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. He says, see, there's a form of doctrine. A form. A simulation. Something in the likeness of the Gospel. Something in the likeness of the doctrine. And he said, you must obey that. And he said, I'm thankful that you have obeyed that. And when you obeyed that from the heart, when you obeyed that by believing that Jesus could wash away your sins, that's the solution. That's the answer to our sins. Well, what was the form? We only need to back up to the first part of Romans chapter 6 to find out. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 3 says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized unto His death? Therefore we're buried with Him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. In those three short verses, Paul declares to us again how the gospel uh, is, is the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and how baptism is the simulation of that death, burial, and resurrection. In verse se- uh, 6 and 7, it says, Know this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. How did the Bible say he destroys sin and destroys death? Through the gospel. It says that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. The picture of the gospel in baptism. The death, the burial, the resurrection. He says our old man is crucified with him. We're buried with him in baptism into his death that the body of sin might be destroyed and we're risen up to walk in newness of life, free of our sin. That sin has been shed. It's been put off from us by the blood of Jesus, by the Gospel, by that old, old story. And that's how we obey it. We obey it through being buried with Him in baptism. I want to share one more set of verses that illustrate this point. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11, it says this, "...in whom also ye are crucified with the..." And I'm sorry, in whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands, in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. 
And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He hath quickened together with Him, having forgiven all your trespasses. <clears throat> I find this verse very interesting as well because it talks about circumcision. Circumcision was a, a procedure that had to be done uh, to each and every one in the household of Israel. It started way back with Abraham. And when God made a covenant with Abraham, He told him that he needed to be circumcised and that he was to circumcise all those that were in his house. And they performed this procedure for years and years and years as a sign, as a signal that they were part of God's people. That they belonged to God. And as the Gentiles began to receive the gospel, and there was great debate in the time of the New Testament about whether they should be circumcised or not. And in this passage of Scripture, Jesus outlines through Paul and through the inspired word of Paul writing to the church at Colossae, he talks about circumcision. And he said you don't have to do that in a physical sense anymore. You don't have to have that medical procedure, that operation to be part of God's people anymore. But he says, what do you need to do? He said you need to have that circumcision that was made without hands. The circumcision that doesn't involve us taking the knife. It's the circumcision where we give the knife to Jesus. And where He performs the circumcision not made with hands. Putting off the body of sins. And He said you do that in baptism. You're buried with Him in baptism. You're risen to walk in newness of life. And He said we do all that through what? through the faith of the operation of God. You see, this is not some man-made symbol. This is not something mankind concocted to be a symbol of Christianity. This is the operation of God. And it takes a great deal of faith. We go back to that belief. The gospel is to be heard, is to be believed, and is to be obeyed. Do you believe that Jesus takes away your sins? Do you believe it's Jesus when you go into the watery grave of baptism that it's Jesus that has the knife? That it's Jesus that surgically removes the sin from your body and takes it away because that's exactly what happens in baptism. You know, many of you have had surgery and you had to put your faith in a doctor that he was going to remove something, whether it was an appendix or whether it was a gallbladder or whether it was a tumor or whatever it may be, you had faith that that doctor was going to take their knife and that they were going to remove that problem that was within you. That's what we're doing in baptism. That's what we're doing with the Gospel. We're handing it over to Jesus and we're saying, Jesus, it's in your control. And I believe in the power of your blood. And I'm going to obey and submit to you because I believe in you and because I have faith in you and faith in your blood and the power of that blood to cleanse. And I'm going to give you the knife and I'm going to let you perform the surgery and you're going to take away my sin. And that's what He does in baptism. That's how He takes away our sins. That's how we obey the Gospel. There's one more thing and one more point that we need to make about the Gospel tonight. And that's that the Gospel's to be shared. It's not something to be put in your pocket and hidden. Our Gospel can't be hid. We've got to share it. In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, it says that He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Jesus gave the great commission to His apostles. He said, get into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Why? Because it's the power to save. 
Every creature needs to hear the gospel. Everybody needs to hear the good news of the word of the death, the burial, and the resurrection and how to believe it and to obey it. Everybody needs to hear it. And that only happens if you share it. Nobody is just going to find it by accident. You've got to share it. You've got to share it with your friends. You've got to share it with your neighbors. You've got to share it wherever you can share it and however you can share it. You've got to share it in written form. You've got to share it in video form. You've got to share it face to face in person. The gospel must be shared. We have a responsibility to everybody in the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 16, Paul said this, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Woe is unto me. Woe is unto you if we don't share this gospel. If we don't share this message with everybody we come into contact. If our gospel's hid, it's hid to those that are lost. And so as we recap tonight, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been saving souls since 33 A.D. It's been saving souls if it's shared with people. And if those people hear it, and if they believe it and if they obey it, that's the power of God to save. God bless you tonight and thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.